Thank you, Dr. Still, <clears throat> for this opportunity to speak to my Truett family. Thank you, Tracy, for the gift of music to me. Thank you, Savannah, Adam, and Josh will be coming for assisting me in our chapel worship this morning, but more than that, for assisting me in the Dean's Suite with our work. Thank you, Eli, for your team, for your leadership in our chapel worship this semester. It is an overwhelming endeavor to prepare to speak to such a wonderfully dedicated, ministry-minded group of faculty, staff, students, alumni, family, and friends. For those of you who do not know me, I've worked in the corner of the Dean's Suite for almost 14 years. I do come out of the corner, but I don't necessarily have opportunity to meet all of the students from my corner of the Truett world. So I'm glad to meet you today if I have not met you before. I do have a Master of Divinity degree from Truett Seminary, but this is the first time I've ever stood in a pulpit to deliver a message. I had one preaching class as part of my seminary degree for which I wrote one sermon. That was a long time ago. I am sure the current preaching faculty would not let that happen. <laughs> However, I refuse to relinquish my degree. Sorry. Um, I know, if you know me at all, you know my passion is church administration. That's why I went to seminary. Thus, I was not necessarily called to the pulpit, but I'm definitely called to the church. Since I have the opportunity, I'll put in a plug for my church administration passion. When church administration is done well, you don't think about it. When it's not done well, it becomes obvious and it can tarnish the reputation of the church and God's kingdom. For those of you who plan to be in church leadership, please put that tip in the back of your ministerial brain and try to remember that administration is important. That's a matter for a different conversation. For today, Dr. Still asked me to tell my story. As the song that Tracy just sang says, to tell my story is to tell of him. I hope you hear about him in my words today. So let me tell you why I've chosen the passage in Exodus 14 for this morning's scripture reading. In my previous life, before Truett Seminary, I was the wife of a military officer. My husband's final job in the military was an assignment at the Army Aviation Troop Command, or ATCOM for short, which was located in St. Louis, Missouri. While he worked at ATCOM, I worked in the accounting department at Gateway Metro Credit Union, that's my accounting background, in downtown St. Louis. We lived in St. Charles, Charles, which is on the opposite side of the Missouri River from downtown St. Louis. So to make the daily commute a little easier, I rode the metro train back and forth to work every day. I found that this morning commute on the St. Louis metro train was a great time to read my Bible. It was usually quiet at 7 a.m., which was too early for morning chit-chat. So conversations with metro buddies, which I did make, happened in the afternoon on the way home. So, ATCOM was my husband's final job in the military after 22 years of service, so he was preparing to retire and looking for an after-retirement job. Approaching a retirement was a bit scary. It might surprise you to know that military life does, in fact, have a large element of security. 
you always know you have a job, and there's a huge sense of camaraderie and community. But now, there was that what's next question, much like many, many seminary students approaching graduation. What's next? While my husband was looking for after retirement jobs, I was reading through Exodus during my morning train commutes. The Exodus 14 passage about crossing the Red Sea was obviously not a new story, but one phrase caught my attention at this particular time in my life and continued to stay in my thoughts. I was reading from the Living Bible, which I now know, post-seminary, is not the best translation, but nonetheless, the words rang true for my needs at the time. Just stand still where you are and watch, and you will see the wonderful way the Lord will rescue you today. And so, Exodus 14, 13 became my theme verse for our Army retirement. I paraphrased it as God telling me to stand still and watch what the Lord will do today. In a first reading of this scripture, it might seem an odd life theme verse. How was I to compare my husband's retirement to the Israelites standing at the edge of the Red Sea with nowhere to go while being chased by the Egyptian army? However, I do know without a doubt that this was the special passage given to me at that time in my life. I believe God has given us biblical stories to offer strength and hope for our current circumstances. But to get some reinforcement for that thought, I pulled out one of my seminary textbooks off my bookshelf for help as I contemplated how to suggest to you that my story could be compared to the Israelite story of crossing the Red Sea. Bernard Anderson, in his book, Understanding the Old Testament, states that the biblical story narrator's intent was to glorify the God whose saving presence was marvelously manifested in an unforgettable historical experience. To that, I can compare my husband's retirement story. I can tell you now the story of a period of time in my life that felt like my husband and I had marched to the end of our abilities and were facing a blank future. But I can attest that God's saving presence was marvelously manifested in our unforgettable historical experience, kind of like the Israelites looking at the Red Sea with no apparent future while the Egyptians were closing in on them. Now, my husband and I did not have Egyptians chasing us from behind while we stood looking at a large body of water. However, I knew that my husband had done all he could do to prepare for our future. And there was really nothing left for us to do but wait and see what God was going to do. God had in fact been a very evident part of the assignments that my husband had been given throughout his military career. Of course, looking back is always easier than looking forward. And if I told you the whole story of my husband's military career, you would understand that it seemed probable that God did have a plan for our future. I just didn't know what it was at the time. And there was really nothing else that my husband nor I could do but wait and watch. My husband had not stood still for 22 years. He worked hard. He had both extensive educational and work experience. He had prepared for the journey per the Lord's directive, although the army thought it was their directive. But just as the Israelites had prepared for the exodus from Egypt, from Egypt my husband had done all he could do for exodus from the army career. 
So as now, I contemplate this passage with my additional years of life experience since my husband's retirement to include a seminary degree, there's a lot to gain by digging deeper. You might say that by means of exegesis, which is a word I did not know until I attended seminary, and I think there's lots I can particularly share with you as a seminary student, for those of you who are students listening, from my experience as I look backwards. The first command from Moses in Exodus 14 is do not be afraid. That same passage is used multiple times throughout the Bible. God told Abram in Genesis 15, do not be afraid, as he was making that first covenant with the father of the Israelite nation. God told Hagar in Genesis 21, do not be afraid, while she was wandering in the wilderness with Ishmael after Abraham sent her away. God told Jacob, in Genesis 46, do not be afraid. When Jacob was on his way to Egypt to meet Joseph, he told Joshua, do not be afraid. After taking command from Moses, Daniel was told by Gabriel, do not be afraid. Zachariah and Mary were given the same message at the announcement of the coming birth of Jesus. Jesus told the disciples in Luke 12, don't be afraid. John received the same message in Revelation 1. You get the idea? All of these Bible heroes were going through some scary events and were all told, do not be afraid. So we're not to be afraid, even when the Egyptians are coming. Like when we have a final exam next week, or when God tells us to move to a new location, or when we're given a new leadership role with the birth of a new baby or the death of a loved one, or when we do not know if we have a job next week or next year or even when the world is upside down with COVID-19. Do not be afraid. If we're doing our part to follow God as we journey through life, we're not to be afraid. Secondly, the passage says stand firm. That means don't move out on your own. In the case of the Israelites, there was really no place for them to go. In the case of my husband, as we faced retirement, there was no turning back. Once you tell the army you're ready to retire, the paperwork begins and the assignments end. The paycheck was going to shrink, but we stood firm by not running ahead of God and making plans that we knew were not his. There's an old favorite devotional book called Streams in the Desert by Mrs. Charles Cowman. She and her husband were missionaries in Japan. She was a co-founder of the Oriental Missionary Society. Declining health of Charles forced the Cowmans to return home to the U.S after many years of service in Japan. It was as she watched her husband suffer in pain that she wrote her best-selling devotional book. Mrs. Cowman's daily devotionals were based on her hardships and her experience of fellowship with God. Her April 19th devotional is based on Exodus 14:13. She states that these are God's words to the believer when we are reduced to great straits and brought into extraordinary difficulties. We can't retreat, we can't go forward. Her words direct us to stand still and listen only to the master's words, not to other advisors' suggestions. She offers four warnings about moving forward without the master's word. She, she suggests that despair will whisper that we should just lie down and give up. Cowardice says, retreat, go back, don't change anything. Precipitancy suggests that you should just do something, stir yourself, to stand still and wait is idleness. Presumption boasts 
If the sea's before you, just march into it and expect a miracle. But then Mrs. Cowman quotes our Baptist forefather, Charles Spurgeon, from his daily devotional book, Moving or Morning and Evening. His July 24th writing on Exodus 14:13 states, Stand still. Keep the posture of an upright man. Ready for action, expecting further orders, cheerfully and patiently awaiting the directing voice, and it will not be long ere God shall say to you, as distinctly as Moses said it to the people of Israel, go forward. But before going forward, there's another command. Moses tells the people to keep still. When I hear the command to keep still, I immediately think of Psalms 46.10. Be still and know that I am God. I am exalted among the nations. I am exalted in the earth. Psalms 46 was written for an entire community at war. The Psalms begin by stating that God was our refuge and strength and we should not fear even when everything is changing. For the Israelites in this situation, it was very much a fear of war as the Egyptians were chasing them. But Moses told them that God would fight for them and they only had to be still. It seems that it's when we have nowhere to go on our own that we finally stop to remember he's in control. So applying the be still command is very difficult for me personally. I love to travel by air. My son is here, the pilot. And I've heard him say something similar to this often because it's a time when I have no choice but to be still. And I often hear from God when I'm in that large metal tube high in the sky. When I look out the window from thousands of feet above the earth, it reminds me that God sees and knows all from beginning to end. With that thought, I'm amazed that he knows me by name and cares about my circumstances because from up there, all my issues look very insignificant. While I'm high above the earth contemplating God's care for me, I'm forced to be still, and then he speaks through my thoughts. I know there are other ways to be still with your feet on the ground. The point is you have to be still in order to hear what your next move should be for God's instructions. But there's still more in this passage. After not being afraid, standing firm, being still, then God tells Moses to tell the people to move forward. Well, it's about time. The Egyptians are almost there. Kind of like when my husband was just a few weeks away from retiring before the right job offer came. Like you might feel as you're getting ready to graduate. But when the job offer came, we had to move forward. That meant to actually physically move to a new place. We anticipated a move would be necessary and that was okay. We had 22 years of moving experience. However, I remember discussions in my seminary classes about the difficulties surrounding moving to new locations, especially when you have a family that might be displaced. My response was always, with my military background, just do it. It's God and if God's in it, it will be fine. It's all about your attitude. Put on a positive attitude, follow God's plan to move forward, even if it's to a new location. Back to the Israelites. When they accepted the command to move forward, God parted the water. Scholars have varying suggestions about exactly how God might have caused these waters to part. 
Bernard Anderson, back to my textbook, offers this possibility that the Israelites were standing at the Reed Sea in an inland body of water, which is an inland body of water with reeds growing around the outer banks. This could have been a marshy area north of the Gulf of Suez. The occurrence of strong easterly winds exposing dry land has actually been witnessed at other times in this area. The miracle in this case would be that God happened that it happened at this particular time with this particular meaning. I love that explanation. God uses the world he created at the appropriate times to tell his story and accomplish his will. When we wait on him and the waters part or the opportunity becomes apparent, it becomes his story, not ours. And that's the point. I believe that is exactly what happened in the case of my husband's retirement. God opened the door for exactly the right job at exactly the right time. In fact, God opened the opportunity for two jobs. After accepting the, excuse me, after accepting the first opportunity, my husband was pursued and accepted then a year later a second opportunity and we moved again. I thought we must have misunderstood God's plan for this to happen. Why two? But with hindsight, hindsight's so helpful, with hindsight, God used my husband's job opportunities to prepare me for a future that I could not foresee. My jobs during that time were on a university staff and then a church staff. At that time, I did not know that those jobs were preparing me to work on a church staff as a church administrator and after I completed seminary, then on a university staff as Truett Seminary Financial Manager. I remember another time much earlier in my life, before this verse became my life passion verse, I was discerning the right college. I lived in Indiana. God sent me to Hardin-Simmons University in Abilene, Texas. I did not know a soul there. I had lived in Richmond, Indiana the first 18 years of my life but it was the right move for me. That move opened the doors to the rest of my life. I see that looking back. It was scary as my parents drove me to Abilene, Texas and left me there 1,100 miles from home, but it was the right thing for me. God had opened that door and I knew that. Or the time after I graduated from seminary and drove up and down I-35 giving out my resume in search of the ministry position God surely had prepared for me it was suggested that I should apply for a job in Keller, Texas, but the position was filled just before I applied. I applied for a church administrator position at a church in College Station and was one of the three final candidates, but was not selected. I graduated in August, and in finally in December, my very own church created a position for me as the church administrator. They'd never had one before. And three years later, Probably because God had kept me local in Waco, God knows the plan, Dr. Garland suggested that I apply for my current position, which has turned out to be the perfect job for me at this time in my life. Except that I could never have dreamed it up on my own. I did everything I could to prepare for whatever God might have me to do, and then I had to stand still and watch what the Lord might be up to and move forward when he opened the door. 
In the case of a seminary student, you could decide it might be easier to just not go through the time, trouble, and work required for a seminary degree. Perhaps you could give in to the Egyptians and just go find a regular job. I know I had to face my limitations when I started seminary as an older student. I had not taken a, um, sorry, I had not taken a college course for um, a long time. So I, um, much less a seminary course. I survived seminary by making notes with colored markers on four by six index cards. I learned to do that about a month into my first sem semester with another older student when she saw me struggling and suggested the colored cards. So I, um, the interesting thing was, after I survived those initial tests from Dr. Nan and Dr. Glower, if you know history of Truett, um, with very, out good, very good outcomes, in fact, the younger students watched and they asked to borrow my colored cards. The point being, I could have decided it was too hard and too much trouble. I could have given in to my fears and not stood firm after I made my decision to attend seminary. I'm so glad I didn't do that. I'm so glad I finished my degree. So now I'm facing another stand still and watch opportunity. I'll be retiring from Truett on Friday. I'm standing in front of another Red Sea in my life, waiting for God to part the waters for my next life journey. I'm not afraid. I'm standing firm on the expectation that he has the perfect plan for the next phase of my life. I anticipate I'm going to need to be silent and listen but I will move forward when he gives the word. However, I have one last warning. As I was thinking of the songs to be sung for today's chapel, Lauren Daigle's song, Trust in You, came to mind immediately. But the words at first seemed to contradict the message of Exodus 14. She talks about when he does not part the waters. You see, there are actually not very many times when your life journey takes you to the banks of the Red Sea. I've talked about one big event in my life when God used Exodus 14 to encourage me. There have been many times in my life when it was apparent he was not going to part the waters or move the mountains. I just had to trust him. So I leave you with this challenge. Fear not, stand firm, be still, and be ready to move forward. But no matter what, always trust that God is in control. He will part the waters only at the perfect time. Wait on him. <laughs>